In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of all ages, amen. Today's topic is called Immeasurably More in this series that we're doing called Live Till You Die. And I know it seems like, like it's so obvious, live till you die. We all kind of live till we die, and then we're dying, then we're dead. So what's the point? Why did live till you die? Because a lot of people have a pulse a lot of people are breathing i'm one of them some days but i'm not alive but i'm not alive i'm like a zombie you know and i'm just i'm just going through the motions i'm just going through the day i'm just you know you ask somebody how you doing they say same stuff different day right and we started off in the first week talking about how our days are numbered you know we live on earth as if we're going to live forever so we live we live completely denying our our mortality sometimes thinking that the things that are important the things that are critical the things that are deeply meaningful and important to me i can do them tomorrow There'll always be a tomorrow. There won't always be a tomorrow. You live and then you die. And then after you die, there's no tomorrow. So if it's important, why not do it today? Why not do it now? Why not break the cycle of the same stuff? Why not? And do it now if it's important to you, right? And then the opposite is true too. Sometimes people are alive. They have, they, have, they have a pulse. They have their breath. They have good health. They have a multitude of different things. But they're good as dead because they're not, there's nothing going on. There's no action. There's no dreams. There's no desires. There's no hope. A, a man's days are numbered. What are you and I going to do with them? And, and, and that leads us to when, we look at, when I look at my life, sometimes I ask myself, is there more to life than this? Is there more to what? I'm here to do than this. And that's what we've been talking about. And if you've been looking at your life, we've been saying for the last two weeks, and you look at the circle of your life and you think to yourself, I'm not satisfied. Then whatever is going to satisfy, whatever is going gonna, is gonna to give me peace and joy, whatever, is, whatever is that I'm, it is that I'm looking for is going to be outside the circle of my life. So I've got to get out of that circle. I've got to look outside that circle. I'm just reviewing all this stuff. That was from the first week. From last week, we started talking about what are the obstacles to looking outside that circle. And one of the big obstacles we have is the past. We just hold on to the past hand, tooth, and nail, right? And we're not willing we're not willing to let go sometimes. Sometimes we're holding on to things that we, we deeply um, cherish in our past, you know? Uh, and we try to recreate experiences that happened, you know? Last Christmas was great. Let's do the same thing again this year. I've got a newsflash for you. 2018, 2019 Christmas is not going to be 27, 2018 Christmas. It's going to be different. It has to be. You know, and there are aspects which you might want to perpetuate. That's fine. But recognize that you're perpetuating the past. So if you don't like the past, you got to let it. We've got to let it go. And we told the story about Elisha, where Elisha set his past on fire. Literally, he burnt his past as an offering. He made a decision to move forward and he made sure that there was no way for him to return back 
to his past. And sometimes that's what we have to do. If you want there to be change, if you want there to be progress, if I want there to be something different, I have to make sure that my plan B is not to go back to my past. If we live in the past, we kiss our future goodbye, guaranteed. Because all we're going to do is perpetuate the past. And that's what we talked about last week. And we, 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 we gave all these different examples that we've just got to let the past go. So last week, last week was if you hold on, you're going to hold yourself back. So this week, the natural question to ask is what does the future hold? Like, what am I going to, I'm going to let go of my past and I'm going to put all that behind me and I'm going to set my mind forward and I'm, I'm all gung-ho and I'm ready to go. Okay, what am I, where am I going? What am I going to do? What's, what is in this future? The answer is immeasurably more. Immeasurably more. More than we could ever think or imagine or dream of lies in the future than what was in the past. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to tell you a story. When I was um, in my second year of surgical training, um, I realized that I had to do a master's in the next year if I wanted to get into the subspecialty that I wanted to get into, which is pediatric surgery. So I was in general surgery and I wanted to subspecialize in pediatric surgery. The people who apply to pediatric surgery from general surgery all have multiple degrees, all have multiple publications. They all have CVs like that are like the thickness of my thigh, you know? And, and I'm thinking to myself like, man, I got nothing. I got nothing. I don't, I didn't, at that point, I didn't, I didn't even have a bachelor's degree because I went straight into med school. They have this funny thing in Quebec where you can go straight into med school from Sejep. And so I did that. So one night, you know, overworked, tired, on call. It's 11.30 p.m. And I'm sitting down finally to have dinner. I'm thinking about all this. And I'm thinking about how, what am I going to do? Like, how, how am I going to make this work out? And I remembered that there was this one resident a couple of years ahead of me who did a master's of of clinical epidemiology and public health at UBC, which is where I was at the time in Vancouver. And I uh, thought to myself, you know what, let me look into this program and see if it's, if it's any good, you know, like maybe this is a good program. She was, she was pretty smart and she sounded really smart when she was done doing this master's. So maybe, you know, maybe it would be good. So I found, I look it up and I'm looking online and guess what? The deadline for application for that master's is the end of day, the next day. Like it's 11.30 p.m. The deadline is like at 5 p.m. So in like 17 and a half hours and I'm working. I'm at the hospital and I'm going to be here all night. Probably going to leave it around 2 or 3 in the afternoon the next day. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this isn't going to work. So this little voice in me said, just send him an email and ask him for an extension for the application. So I sent an email. What do I have to lose? Right. And I just said, you know what? Maybe they'll give me an extension and they'll allow me to hand in the application in like a week or something. Right. You have to write a letter and get reference letters. It was complicated, like it was multiple steps. There's no way I'm going to get this arranged, you know, in, 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 in a few hours. Anyhow, so I sent them the email. I went on. I was worked all night. I didn't, I didn't sleep a wink. And uh, the next day, I worked the whole day from the morning till the afternoon. At about sometime in the late morning, I got a reply back from the director of the master's program. And he said, um, why don't you come in and see me, Doug? 
That was it. Why don't you come in and see me, Doug? That was his reply. Is that yes? Is that no? Is that an extension? What is that? What is, why don't you come in and see me? Like, just answer the question, you know, right? And so I reply back and I say, sure, when would you, you professor, whatever, I'm not going to call him Doug, right? I don't know this guy. And he's like the head of the program and this and that. And he's like a, he's a professor, right? So professor so-and-so. And he replies back, how about today? I'm like, I'm like, what is with these like very ambiguous answers? So I reply back. I figure, let me give him a time. Tell him, okay, how about I pass by the department today at 3 p.m.? He replies back, sounds good. Okay, sounds good, right? So I've got a date with the director of this master's program at 3 p.m. Let me go see what happens. So I go home, shower, shave, of course, because I look like a wreck, try to, try to look reasonable and go see him. And he sits me down and he talks and why do you want to do this and what are your career aspirations? So I tell him and I'm just, he's totally like get, just getting to know me, right? And we're chatting away and then like at some point he says, okay, sounds good. And he gets up. And so I got up and I kind of, like, sounds good. What, is, what sounds good? I'm like, so can I have an extension for the application? He's like, no, you're in. That's great. Like, uh, you know, you just you start in September. And, uh, uh, and I was like, what? And he said, yeah, yeah, sure. You just, I'm like, do I stuff to fill out this whole application thing? Or, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the personal statement and the references, oh, yeah, no, no, forget about all that stuff. Just fill in the application because we have to have something on file. Like we have to know who you are or something. You're not like, you know, some psychotic person or whatever, right? So just fill something in so that we have something we can file. I'm like, okay. Anyhow, uh, I get into the program and, uh, and, and, and I tell you, like, like, who cares that I ended up doing a master's in healthcare and epidemiology, clin you know, clinical studies and all this stuff, like, like I'm a priest now, like what's the utility of that? I'll tell you what the utility is. See, I didn't, did med school in French and I didn't do very well, especially in the preclinical part of med school. Like there's like, you do stuff in class and then, you, then you're in the hospital. The in-class stuff, I really struggled. I really, really struggled. I, 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 I got an excellent marks most of my life, but man, those two years, there were several things that just passed by the skin of my teeth. It really shook my confidence and it shook me up. It changed me as a person. Just barely passing a number of times, it, it really changed me. In this master's degree, I got A pluses in absolutely everything except one class where I got a C plus and another class where I got a B plus. And the B plus was the highest mark in that class. That professor actually is just a tough marker and he wanted me to do a PhD with him. And it's not because I'm brilliant. It's because God had a plan. He had a plan. He wanted to do something. He wanted to big me up again. He wanted to make me feel that I got you. I got you. Don't worry about it. This, you're like trying to figure out. And I was look, looking at master's degrees at like Stanford and the US and here and there. And I was looking at all these different things. I was really confused. I had no time to do this. I was working over 100 hours a week and I was so busy and I had no time to figure this out. God was telling me, I got you. I have tomorrow prepared. Things you haven't even dreamed of. You didn't even think of them. You barely heard of them. In Habakkuk 1.5, it says, I want to tell you something, but if I were to tell you what I'm going to do, you would never believe me. Of course, that's speaking about the incarnation of Christ and the cross and so on. But it's speaking to us, each one of us. God is telling us, I have plans for you. But were I to tell you what they were, you would never believe me. They're so crazy. They're so out there. You would never believe me, right? So that's my story of how I got into a master's degree and this and that. 
And really, that was really more importantly, that's a story about how God restored me and give, gave me new confidence in myself. And he taught me skills there that are the reason that I ended up getting my training position here in Toronto, which obviously led to my meeting all of you, right? So God has a way of doing things and setting things up, setting the domino rally up in ways we just couldn't ever imagine. But the problem is that I live a life which requires so little of God. Like, I live my life taking into account the resources that I have, and so I try to arrange my resources to produce the optimal result. But what, where's God? Where's God in any of that? I don't have any dreams, any hopes of anything larger than where, I can, where my feet can go, where my feet can carry me. I don't, I don't need God for the little dinky plan I've made for my life. Because it's so little. Our lives, our dreams, our hopes are so little sometimes. We don't need God. Naturally, we don't look for Him, right? There's a beautiful story in 2 Kings. You know, we're really hung up on Elisha in this series, right? The series is not about Elisha per se, but Elisha is going to come in. He's going to visit, you know, he's going to do a guest, guest appearance in every, every, every episode. Elisha and 2 Kings chapter 4 goes to visit a widow. So they had started this thing called the school of the prophets in his time. Probably, it probably got started around the time Elijah was there, but it exploded in growth under Elisha. And so one of the prophets died and he left his wife and his two sons, widowed and orphaned. And so the creditors come, they come to the widow and they say to her, pay up. And if you don't pay up, we're going to take your sons and we're going to sell them as servants. They weren't legally allowed to sell them as slaves, but they could like illegally do it so that they could make the money that was owed to them. So the widow runs to Elisha and she, and she tells him, help me, help me. And Elisha says something to her, right? Elisha, Elisha says something to her. He says to her, what do you got? What do you have? And what do you want me to do? And God is saying to you, and he's saying to me, as I look at my poverty, as I look at my, my problem that has no solution that I can see, what do you got? And what do you want me to do? And the lady is, look, searches the house, sends her boys scur scurrying through the house, and they come back, and all they have is a little jar of oil. She says, I have nothing except this little jar of oil. And so many times we say to God, I have nothing except... And when Jesus wants to feed the 5,000, he turns to the disciples and says, what do you have? They say, send the, send the people away. Let them go find somewhere else to eat. You know? And he says, what do you have to offer them? They say, we have nothing except these five loaves and two fish. What are they among so many? 5,000 people and we got like a little lunch bag from a little boy. It's not even a meal for a grown man. What are we going to do with this little lunch bag, right? We have nothing except something small, right? What about Moses when he stands before the Red Sea? He has nothing except this rod. He's holding a stick. He's got the army of the superpower of the world behind him and a bottomless ocean in front of him. And he has a stick 
you know, he's not wrong to turn to God and say, I have nothing. We're not wrong when we turn to God and we say, I have nothing. Because that's how it really feels sometimes, that I indeed have nothing. But Moses turns to the people and he says, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation which the Lord will accomplish for you. For the Egyptians that you see today, you shall not see again forever. Samuel at one point says, now therefore stand and see the great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. So Elisha says to her, go to all your neighbors and gather up some jars and do not gather just a few. He tells her specifically, don't, don't go get me three jars. Go collect every jar you can find. What's she going to do with? What's she going to do with a house full of jars? And what is she going to say to her neighbors? And what is she going to... She doesn't ask. She just goes and they collect all the jars they can find. Right? They collect all the jars they can find. And he says to her, okay, now pour the oil into the jars. So she starts pouring the oil into one jar and it's full and they put it aside. And they take the small little, tiny little jar of oil and they pour into the next jar and they fill it to the brim and they put it aside. And then they fill the next one. And then they fill the next one. And then they fill the next one. And then they fill dot, 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 the next one. And then she says to her son, okay, bring me the next jar. And he says, there are no more. And she looks in the little jar of oil and is gone dry. The little jar of oil filled all the other jars. And when all the other jars were full, the original oil dried up. You know what's really beautiful about this story? Is Elisha doesn't tell her, okay, get a piece of paper and a pen. Okay, these are step one, okay? Step two, step three, step four. Okay, here's my cell phone number. Call me when you're done, right? He tells her step by step. He asks her, what do you want me to do for you? What do you have? He points her in the direction so that she can see what she has. Then he tells her, go collect the jars and not just a few. Then he tells her, pour the oil into the jars. Then he tells her, sell the oil so you have enough money to pay your debtors and have enough money for you and your sons to live. The, the beautiful thing about God is it is very out of character for him. God can do whatever he wants and I'm not going to say never. But it's so out of character for him to hand you an assignment and say, y'all, you just run off with this and when you've got this down, you come back and talk to me. What's much more in character for God is to put your, his hand on yours and to teach you like, a, like, a, like a, a parent or a coach teaching a little kid how to play a sport, how to hold a hockey stick or hold a baseball bat and teaches, teaches you how to do it and walks the way with you and tells you step by step. Well, most of us don't like that. Most of us, we just want to hear how's the story going to end. Stop telling me these random instructions. Go get jars, go get this, go do that. Just tell me, like, am I going to be okay? Is everything going to be okay? No, 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 no. Just, this is the next step. God loves to take us step by step. Step by step. That's what he does. But we have to believe that this is going to lead us outside the circle of my life. 
that this is going to lead us to the new frontier, going where no man has gone before, Star Trek. You know, going way, way beyond what we could possibly imagine. We have to believe that. Otherwise, we just won't do it. How much oil did they end up with at the end? As much oil as they had jars for. See how kind God is? He didn't just make the oil continue flowing and like flood the house with oil and flood the village with oil. No, as much oil, as, as much containers as they had, as much oil came pouring out. So what is the limiting factor of the magnitude of the grace of God in my life? How many jars I'm willing to collect? How faithfully I'm willing to obey his commandments? Because see, his commandments aren't capricious things. They're not like, they're not like God isn't petty. When he's asking me to do something, it's for something. It's going to lead to something. And next week we're going to talk about how it doesn't only lead to a greater life for me. It leads to a greater life for me and everybody that my life touches. See, everything touches something. We're in a domino rally. So the, the faithful, the degree of faithfulness, how seriously I take God's commandment to me, God's call to me, and how seriously I take it and I run with it and I do all that I can do with it. I don't collect six jars when I could have collected seven. I don't walk half a mile when I could have walked the whole way. I, I, I spend myself to the end. I, I give all I have to be faithful to his command. The whole of myself. God is going to fill that with his grace. As much as I've given him. See, this is really, really important, folks. This is critical. This is critical because in most of my prayers, I pray like the limiting factor is the willingness of God. God, like, if you're willing, can you do this? God, if you're willing, do that. Like, he is the limit. But in this story, God is not the limit. The widow and her sons and how... What they do, how many jars they collect, that's the limit. So the limit, the limit isn't God. God is unlimited. Unlimited. Sorry, these are... The word limit, like just from the dictionary, is a point or level beyond which something does not or may not extend or pass. Where's the limit? Where have I and you, where have we drawn the limits for God? And we said, God, you can go this far, but you can't go further. God, you can take me this far, but you can't take me further. God, we could do this, but we can't go further than that. What are the limits, right? St. Paul tells us, and this is like the key verse for today. Now, the glory be to God who by his mighty power that is at work within us is able to do. I'm going to stop here before we continue the verse. What is God able to do? Ask yourself right now. What is God able to do and not able to do? Independent of you and me. In and of his own self. Independent of us and all creation. He's unlimited. He's the creator. There is nothing that is known in the, in the naturally observed universe or fathomed in the multiverse 
that is beyond him. Every idea, every thought is not new to him. What, are the, what is the extent of his ability? He is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. I took this from the Living Bible because it, it really kind of just used words that we all can just really understand. Infinitely beyond our dreams, our prayers, our desires, our thoughts, our hopes, you put your word in there. That's what God is able to do. That's his ability, right? Sometimes we feel like there's a glass ceiling that I just can't break through. God has no glass ceiling. God has no limitations. Except that he refuses to work in your life and mine without us. He can run as fast as I can run. He can carry as heavy as I can carry because he refuses to carry it without me. He wants to do it with me. God is a God, our God is a God of solidarity, is a God who refuses at any cost to leave us. Even when we choose to journey into death, he says, I choose to come with you and bring life there. But I have a box for God. I have a box of what God can do. And when God commands me, I give it as a reflection of what I believe he is able to do. So God is humble. He's a nice guy. He just he says, okay. Sure, no problem. I'll live um, in your box, John. If this is, but he can't be contained. He can't be contained in a box, right? Jesus says, "I have come that they may have life, and that they ha may have it more abundantly." His desire is for us to have abundant life, to have life which overflows out of us. This is his. This is his purpose statement. This is his. This is. He says, "Why have I come?" Like people, like a common question people ask: Why did Jesus come to Earth? He came that we may have life and have it abundantly, not have like a drop or a or a, but have it abundantly, have it to overflowing. But again, when you think of this glass which is overflowing and it's under the tap and the tap is on and the tap is just pouring and and it's overflowing out of the cup, the question is is what does the cup look like? If I ask you how full is the cup, you're going to say it's full, right? But how full is full? Well, I mean, it depends. I mean, is it a shot glass or is it a pint or is it like the, you know, Toronto Reservoir? How big, how big is the cup? How big is the limitations that I put for How many jars am I willing to collect? How much do I believe that God can do? And I want, us, I want us to, for a moment today, go outside our comfort zone. And that's why we started with this hugging exercise where everybody hugged somebody. And I'm sure, I'm sure some people are huggers and they were happy to hug anybody and they could hug, they could hug a fire hydrant if you ask them to, right? Maybe if you, even if you don't ask them to, they'll just do it on their own, right? You know? and, but some of you are not huggers and some of you have personal space and, and, I, and I respect that. And I'm sorry that I transgressed that. But I, wanna, I want us to go, I want us to try something different. 
Try something different. Do something different. Do something different, hoping to get a different result, right? Now, the first step, easy step, is to give praise of God a little bit more space in my life. If I walk around humming to myself the first canticle where I'm singing to myself and I'm singing to God that he parted the Red Sea and what used to be a sea became a walkway and where the sun had never shone became a path and he delivered his children, the people of Israel, through the sea and I'm singing this to myself, I have to accept that what I see as a limitation, as a boundary, is not necessarily so. And things that I could never have imagined, it was never heard before, that people walked through an ocean floor. It was just never had been heard of before. God can do things we've never heard of, right? And if I sing, walking around singing to myself, praises from the third canticle, praise ye, O sun and moon, praise the Lord, praise you, all the, all the, trees of the field you know in the psalms it says let the trees of the field clap their hands you know like this is said in the context of a victorious king returning which is another story but the point is is that most of us if i told you hey i was walking in the forest the other day and i saw the trees clapping their hands most of you would think that i'm starting to lose it you know and maybe i'm not you know maybe i'm not in fully in touch with reality anymore if my daughter who's three says that you're gonna say she has a very wild imagination you're gonna think that's perfectly normal for a three-year-old in fact we actually get kind of worried when the small children lose their sense of imagination so what's the difference why can she believe the psalm and i can only memorize it and hum it but i can't believe it I can't believe that God can give the trees hands and they could clap if he wanted to. And he can do far beyond my wildest dreams, prayers, hopes, or imagination. Praise him. If you're not, you don't know any of the stuff by heart, no problem. Find yourself some praise and praise him. Find some on your morning commute, on your way back while you're sitting at work doing nothing. I don't know. Find some space. Redeem some time that's going nowhere. Fill it with praise. It will necessarily inspire my heart that there's more to God than meets the eye or that I've already experienced. St. John, uh, John writes about Jesus saying to his disciples at the very end of his life, On that day you will ask of me nothing. Very, very, I say to you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will do it for you. Jesus says to them, and he says to us, and he says to you, and he says to me, Until now you have asked nothing. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. God wants your joy and mine to be complete. But there's things that are outside my circle of life that I wish. And there's things that are outside the circle of what I believe God can do. So those things I don't ask for. There's things I want that are not in my life. But they're, they're, they're within reach for God. He can, he can reach that far. I ask for those things. But the things that are outside the circle of what God would do for me, I don't ask for those things. I don't ask for them because I don't believe that he would do them. I know this sounds, it's starting to sound a little bit like prosperity gospel. Okay, Prosperity gospel is 
you know, God will give me whatever I want to prosper me, right? Which is very different from what sounds like the gospel Jesus was preaching, which was, I want to give myself to God so he can use me for his purposes. Okay, so I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. I'm not saying if the thing that lies outside your circle that you want God to do for you is, you know, money, is position, is... Look, if it's selfish, then you can pray about it. But that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. And St. James explains. He says, he says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. If it's associated with my pleasure, then... Uh, you know, I don't want to say yes or no, but just let's just say, you know, be weary. St. James says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask that you may spend it on your own pleasures. There is glory for your life and mine outside of my pleasures. There's things I could ask for from God that are not, guess what, for me. That would lead to a much fuller life than what I'm living right now. Another really beautiful thing is don't try to predict what God is going to do. Just go to God and give him the problem. Just go to God and give him the thing. God, this person is sick. You deal with it. You attend to it. And I know, Lord, you can do far beyond what I could possibly ever imagine. Right? This is attributed to St. Augustine, but I've seen it attributed to a whole bunch of other people. Pray as though everything depended on God and work as though everything depended on you. So I'm going to do everything that I can do and I'm going to do my best. And I'm not doing my best because that is a criterion for then God to act. Like, like I have to do all that I can do and then when I can't do any more, then God will start to work. No, it doesn't work that way at all. God is gracious. I'm doing my best because everything that I do, I'm doing for Him. And because everything that I do, I'm doing for Him, He is worthy of my best. So that's why I'm going to collect every jar. That's why I'm going to spend and be spent for Him. That's why I'm willing to lose sleep and skip meals and I'm willing to, for Him, for His sake. That's why I'm willing to, to carry till my back hurts. And I'm willing to push myself beyond, beyond my limits to pour every last drop of my life out because I'm doing it for him. And his response is not connected, is not, his willingness is not connected to what I provide. What I provide is connected to the result because that's what God has to work with. But what, what I'm providing, the oil didn't run out earlier or later because of the number of jars that they had. It ran out because the jars were full. God's willingness, his willingness to give is beyond my wildest imagination. But he can only fill that which I bring him. So do, I do all that I can for him, for his glory, because he's worth it, right? Where do you start? Start right where you are, right? Arthur Ashe was the first African-American to win Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, and the Australian Open. The first African-American man to win all of those titles. He says, start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. I haven't won any tennis championships at all, but I'm going to still be bold enough to add one thing to that. 
You know, use what you have and use all of it. Don't hold back. What is there tomorrow that is worth saving something from today for? Tomorrow isn't guaranteed. Spend it all today. Spend it all today. I'm not talking necessarily about money or I'm talking about I'm talking about my energy, my love, my care. Why am I holding back? Why am I holding back on loving people? Why am I holding back on reaching out to people in need and loving them? I'm sure every single person here knows at least three people that are going through a hard time. Why not pick up the phone and call them? Oh, well, that, that might take up some time, Father John. I don't know if you want to talk to me for 20 minutes. It's like an hour. And so, why not? why not? Why not give more than what I have? Like the widow of the two mites and Jesus praised her. Why not use everything I have, everything I've got, and then some? Maya Angelou, uh, a North American poet and female activist and um, did a lot of great literary works and uh, actually passed away recently in 2014, says, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. I could have loved, I could have shared, I could have, but I didn't. But why? But why? Do it, just reach out of yourself. You know why? Because there's limits. For one moment now, okay, I want you to just do this like mental exercise with me. What is the extent of your imagination? Like my friend Uncle Rauf over here has driven to Florida and to California and to all kinds of places. Okay, the furthest I've ever driven, like on a road trip, is to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I've, I haven't driven any further than that. He's driven to like, I have a friend, I one up you uncle. I, I have a friend who's driven to the Panama Canal. You can't drive further south than that. Like you can't cross the Panama Canal with a car, right? How far is your imagination? What are the boundaries of your imagination? How far does it go? Now, Find that line, okay? Take your yellow highlighter and highlight that line, okay? Of your wildest, furthest out imagination. God goes beyond that. God goes beyond that. What is the limits of your imagination for the impact of your life? What is the limits of your Im imagination for the holiness of your family? What is the limits of your imagination for the love that you can pour out to other people? Okay, imagine how, how that would look like. Like what's the most you could ever imagine in any one of those departments or any other? You choose yours. Choose a specific department in your life. What's the, where's, where is that line, okay? Highlight it. That's the line of the, the furthest out your imagination goes. Dr. Oof has driven further. God has gone further. God has gone further. God has imagined more than that for you and for me. So in summary, believe beyond your imagination. Believe beyond what you imagine could even be possible. This is, I don't even know that this is, could be possible, but I know God can do it and I believe it. Glorify Him. Glory, praise gives us, gives us lightheartedness. It puts bounce in our step. It makes us able to embrace these impossibilities. Accept 
that you don't know the will of God. I don't know his will. I don't know what he's going to do. So I'm not going to try to predict it. I know that what he can do is beyond my imagination. So by corollary, I can't predict what he's going to do because of all the possibilities, of all the possibilities, there are possibilities that are beyond even what I can imagine. So I'm going to stop trying to predict and I'm just going to leave it with him. And lastly, use all that you have. Every last drop. Shoot every bullet. Shoot every arrow. Pour out to the last drop. Drive as far as you can. Pray as hard as you can. Love as hard as you can. Give it all. Give it all. Because then you will have no regrets. I will have never looked back and say, but if I had. Because I know that I gave all that I can. Imagine. Close your eyes for a moment now. And imagine if each one, if each person in our community right here. Okay? Imagine if each person in your family or each person at your workplace or each person in your class at school or, or whatever, whatever group of people lived like this accepted that there are limitations to my imagination but there is a loving God who is ready and willing to do even more than that glory be to God forever and ever amen let's stand and pray name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit one God amen to you O Lord be all the glory all the praise all the honor all the might Lord to you be the majesty and the power and the blessing and the glory, Lord. Because to you, Lord, you are the one who is able to do far beyond our hopes, our dreams, our imagination, our prayers. You are the one, Lord, who is able to do abundantly more than we think or even ask. Only you, Lord. Only you, Lord. Dream beyond my dreams. Hope. You hope, Lord, beyond my hopes. Please, Lord, give me to collect every jar. Give me, Lord, to do all that I can, right from where I am, to accept that my journey with you, my journey of a new life with you starts right where I am. It starts here, and you're going to take me way beyond what I would have ever imagined I would ever end up. Please, Lord, open my heart to imagine, to believe, to hope, to dream again. Bring me back to being a, a three-year-old toddler who can, who can imagine that which is improbable, that which is impossible, that which is all these adult words that we use, Lord. Bring me back, Lord, to that childlike state to believe in you and that you can take me where I would have never gone on my own. All glory and might and praise be to you, O Lord now and always and unto the ages of all ages, Lord. Hear us as we pray to your Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.